So we've been in a virtual conversation talking about the promises of God, those unchangeable realities, those stubborn truths that don't shift regardless of the season, regardless of the circumstances. And uh, today we're going to start a two-part conversation looking at God's promise, God's guarantee to his people that he will be our protector. And come on, isn't that a timely assurance for us, especially in a season in which many of us may feel exposed and maybe feel vulnerable to some of those realities outside of our control. Maybe we feel a little bit exposed to those looming threats that feel like they're closing in around us financially or academically or pandemically or emotionally, because I just don't know how much more of this I can handle before it does me in. And yet, in the midst of all of that, regardless of what's closing in around us, God makes this guarantee to us, I will be your protector. And this is, this is the way the psalmist says it. This is Psalm chapter 3, starting at verse 1. He says, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. He says, you are my shield. And come on, I don't have to tell you what a shield does. Just ask Captain America that when the enemy or the pressure closes in on us, threatening to undo us, threatening to collapse us, God is the one who protects me. That's what the psalmist says here in this verse. And come on, somebody needed to be reminded of that stubborn truth, that God will be our protector. Regardless of what might be coming against you, you have a protection plan, and it is the shield called our great God. But... If we're going to believe this more deeply, then we've got to understand it a little bit better. And I don't know about you, but my heart does so well with stories. And I was, as I was thinking about this assurance, this guarantee, I, I couldn't help but think of one of the most epic tales in all of the Bible found in Exodus chapter 13, in which God's protection of his people is put on full display. And we just want to look at that story together and see what principles we might be able to learn and lean into. And if you've never heard this story before, sorry to do this to you, but spoiler alert. God is going to protect his people by tearing open a sea like a, a large body of water. And then he's going to create this gravel highway and invite his people to walk across on dry ground into safety. Oh, and when he's done, he's going to close that same sea on the enemies that were threatening to undo his people. <laughs> All right, that's not funny. 
but it kind of is, because I don't know if you knew, but God is the protector, the shield of his people. And there's no threat closing in on you that he cannot shield you from. But okay, let's do a little bit of work. Let's back up and see what led up to this epic scene. And let's see what truths we can lean into if we're going to better believe that God is the protector of his people. So let's look at this story. It's found in Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Epic story. Then the Lord said to Moses, the leader of his people, Tell the Israelites to turn back and to encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I don't just mean the hard-to-pronounce names. Um, okay, so Egypt, the most powerful and the most terrifying empire on the planet has held God's people, the Israelites, captive for a few centuries, just exploiting them as free labor and brutalizing them along the way. God's people have cried out to their God. God has heard their cry, and he has done some things that only God can do and has now set them free from captivity in Egypt. He has forced the hand of Pharaoh, the king, to let his people Go, and in this glorious emancipation, about two million Israelites, men, women, and children, just bust up out of Egypt into the new air of freedom, and they start to walk away towards this land that God is going to give them. Um, when Exodus chapter 14 opens up, they're about 320 miles into their newfound freedom. Uh, they've walked about 300 miles southeast in this direction uh, from where you're sitting. And they've ran into a wall also known as the Red Sea. So they've been forced to take a hard left, and now they've walked about 20 miles northeast. Picture, yeah, an, an incomplete V. Are they drunk? Are they lost? Neither of those things. In the space between, in this general region, I feel like a weather reporter. Picture the most unfriendly, the most jagged of mountain ranges. So the only way to get through it is to walk around it, which is exactly what the Israelites have done. When Exodus chapter 14 opens up, they're about 20 miles northeast of the Red Sea when God speaks to Moses. And it's crazy what he tells him. He says, I want you and these two million people to turn around and go in the direction you just came from. March south, 10 miles directly towards the Red Sea. What? That doesn't seem to make much sense. But it gets a little worse 
than that. Because he says, I want you to camp near Migdol. Um, the word Migdol means a high and elevated place. That's crazy. God tells Moses, I want all of you to march back and camp between the sea and a high elevated place. I want you to march back and camp in a cove. I want you to camp in a claustrophobic area. I want you to go and camp in this area with one road in and one road out. I want you to go and camp in this tight enclosure in which anything can happen. Can I just say that that doesn't sound like a great idea. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Sounds, to be honest, like a setup. Thankfully, Moses doesn't have to scratch his head for very long before God lets him in a little further into what he's thinking. He tells him why. Look at verse 3. When Pharaoh sees this, he will think they're drunk. The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Camp in an enclosure, God says, because I want your enemy to think y'all are confused. <laughs> the Bible is so good, right? I want you to camp in this bay, this claustrophobic cove, because I want your enemy to think that you are trapped. I want your enemy to think that you are stuck with no place to go. Come on, somebody. I know you see it, but let me say it anyway. <laughs> Sometimes... When you feel stuck, that may just be God setting your enemy up. Ooh, that rhymes too. Sometimes when you feel trapped, God might be setting a trap for your enemy. I love this story. I just came to tell somebody it might be a setup. It might be a setup. <laughs> just not for you. Sometimes when you feel stuck, God's setting your enemy up. I want the enemy to think that they are vulnerable. I want the enemy to think that they are super discourageable. I want the enemy to think that they'll be so busy feeling sorry for themselves in quarantine that they'll lose sight of what I'm calling them to do in the world around them. I want the enemy to think my people are confused. And I just came to say it might be a setup. I want the devil to think he's trapped them in their homes. And while they're struggling with feel, feeling claustrophobia, he can just come in and whisper all kinds of lies about how things will never change and things will never be different. But it might be a setup. I want the devil to think that they are moving backwards financially. And watch what kind of decisions they start to make out of panic. Watch how they'll sneak out of being generous. But I just came to say it might be a setup. I want him to think they are trapped between furlough and a struggling economy, and they are vulnerable. 
to be taken advantage of. I'm just saying if you feel stuck in a certain place, the best thing to assume is this might be a setup, but not for you. Because my Bible says that God's plans for us are good. God's plans are for our growth. God's plans are for our fullness. God's plans are for our joy. And I bring this up because, listen, I'm going to struggle to believe God is my protector if I think that he is part of setting me up for any kind of disaster or any kind of downfall. Come on, I invite you to reinterpret your season. You are not being set up for financial failure. You are not being set up for an e-learning coma. I refuse to believe that I am stuck. I choose to assume this might be a setup. And come on, I invite you to join me in that. It is for freedom that Christ has set me free. I refuse to believe he has any part of me now being stuck, which was true for the Israelites. He had just liberated them from captivity. He is not leading them to a place of being stuck again, hemmed in by the sea and this high place. I'm just telling you, in what feels like you may be stuck, there's an opportunity to see it as a setup. But then this thing gets a little bit better. God invites Moses a little bit further into his mind. And, and here's what he says in verse 4. He says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, my people, that is. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So all two million people, the Israelites, they did this. All two million of God's newly emancipated people march into this claustrophobic cove. They march into this stuck slash setup. Place. And you know what struck me as I reread this story? The cluelessness of the Israelites struck me. And it didn't just strike me, it actually encouraged me a little bit, if I'm to be honest with you. The, the way the language rolls out here in, in this verse seems to suggest that, that God had a private conversation with Moses, not a public conversation with the rest of the nation. That's rough. I don't know if you notice that this is something my mind picks up on because that means that roughly 1.99999 million people are moving into this claustrophobic cove with no idea on the particulars of why they're doing this or how long they're doing it. They just go with Moses on this. Next thing they know, there is water surrounding them and a high place hemming them in. Now, for us, 
That may sound like a cool vacation. We miss spring break, coves, an awesome beach scene, and, and, and these high places, mountains, and the beach. But to them, they just came out of captivity. There is nothing cute about this. This is terrifying. And they feel vulnerable, and they feel exposed with no sense of the particulars, no sense of why. And I couldn't help but be encouraged by the truth that there is always a play. There is always a play. God is always up to something. God is always working on a plan. That was so encouraging to me. Listen to what the Proverbs say. This is Proverbs 16, verse 4. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked, for a day of disaster. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans, he says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Someone needs to know that. Plans to give you hope and a future. There is always a play. All right, let me try and make sense of this whole thing. Because somebody needed to know in the midst of quarantine and in the midst of maybe feeling stuck, just because you don't know what God is up to doesn't mean he's not working on something. Just because you may be part of the 1.99999 million who don't have the particulars doesn't mean God is not working a play. There is always a play. Moses happens to know it. The rest of them didn't, didn't change the fact God was working on something. The fact that I don't understand why on earth we're in the midst of a pandemic and it feels random and chaos doesn't change the fact that there's always a play. The fact that I'm not Moses and God hasn't whispered the particulars to me doesn't change the fact he's working out a proper end. Do you believe that God is whispering purpose over this season? Do you believe that God is running a play in this season even if you may not know exactly what that is? Because come on, what's the alternative? that COVID-19 broke into our worlds and is now rendering us, you know, helpless and heaven is scrambling to figure out if they can track down some test kits. Come on, there's always a play. What's the alternative? That God abandoned you in your financial uncertainty and he has no idea what's happening. There is always a play. Just because you don't know it doesn't mean God's not running it. There's always a play. The economy just became unhinged, and we're now in this financial cove. There is always a play, and some of us need to boss our hearts around a little bit, declaring, I don't get it, but God, I believe you got it. There is always a play. I don't need to know what you're up to to believe you are up to something, even when I don't see it. You're working. There is always a play. And if God is working a play, I'm not randomly in this season. 
This isn't just happening. He is running a play. And I can start to more believe a God who protects me if I see him as a purposeful God. Okay, but, but, but do you have time for one more observation? I don't know if you have somewhere that you're rushing off to. But this, this is foundational. Um, if you didn't catch this in the story, this is foundational. If we're going to believe our God is a God who protects. Look again at Exodus chapter 14, verse 4. Here's what it says. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Woo! This is so good, so foundational. And I'm not going to lie, it, it, it may feel a little bit anticlimactic for us. Because this is a spot where I was ready to shout, Woo! This might be a setup. I experienced a, a minor setback, which was just a setup for my major comeback, right? I'm about to soar to new heights. I'm about to get me some money. I'm about to get some payback on my cray-cray boss who furloughed me. God is running a play, and I'm about to catch the touchdown, and I'm about to, whatever, right? This seems like the place where we are ready to get fired up about what it's going to look like and what it's going to mean for us. And then God says, I'm sorry. Don't get it twisted. Let me finish the sentence. This might be a setup for my glory. God is always running a play, but we have to embrace that the play is his glory. I told you that might feel a little bit anticlimactic, but so foundational to what I believe God wants us to see. I am for your good, but more so, I am for my glory. Sometimes when you feel stuck, God is setting the enemy up to show off what he can do. I will gain glory, he says, for myself. And I'm telling you, this might be a setup for your neighbors to see what God can do. This might be a setup for our nation to see what God can do through a quarantined church. This might be a setup to show the devil what God can do, even in a struggling economy. What we call stuck, God calls a stage primarily for his glory. And I'm just asking how many of you have considered maybe speaking to this season and just letting it know, hey season, what's up corona? 
you're such a pretty stage. God's going to look so good standing on you. What feels like a stuck place is a stage for the glory of God. Sometimes when we feel hemmed in with no way out, God is setting up the stage to show off his great glory. Listen, this is huge. This is foundational for where we want to go, but it's the most difficult thing for us to embrace in the conversation of God's protection, that God's greatest play is God's great purpose for God's great glory. One preacher said it this way, God's great goal is God's great glory. And I'm telling you, if we don't embrace this, the promise of God's protection is going to become a demand for our preferences. And we will struggle to believe God protects us when anything happens that doesn't shield us from any discomfort. I experienced a little bit of pain. I experienced a little bit of turbulence. I experienced a little bit of consternation. How can you say God is my protector? We have to frame God's protection in God's purpose for his great glory. I'm telling you, if we don't embrace that, you are going to demand that I sit here and I preach messages telling you God won't let anything negative happen to you. He's going to get you out of everything that feels uncomfortable, and you'll be disappointed with me, you'll be disappointed with God, and frankly, it will make a soft church who thinks God will never allow us to be put in difficult situations. But when we believe this might be a setup primarily for the glory of God, we will start to say, God, get you your glory. Get your glory, and we know that in the midst of that, you will protect us, but you will protect us so that you will look good, so that you will look awesome in the midst of all of this, so glory will be given to your name. This is such a powerful story, but it serves as a principle I wanted us to wrestle through a little bit before we continue this conversation next time looking at what his protection might look like in our lives. The church will be unshakable when we embrace God is continually running a play. But the primary goal of that play is his glory. We want to more deeply believe the promise of God's protection. But first, we've got to embrace the purpose of God's glory. So, a couple of quick things as we wrap. As we've been doing every week, I want to invite you to do this again. Place his promise. I think this one is going to be especially meaningful because we are sitting in a space right now where if you are understanding this story, then you're embracing the reality that it's not ultimately about you. 
It's not ultimately about me. And yet I still believe God promises to shield and protect his people. This one is going to take faith. This one is going to make the enemy mad. This one is going to temper our hearts a little bit. But I dare you to do it still. To, to download the graphic and just plaster it everywhere. To maybe write it down and place in as many places as you can think the promise, God is my shield. In maybe the places where you experience fear the most, or again, you experience anxiety the most, or, or maybe it's an area in which you're feeling threatened or you're feeling uncertain, God is my shield. Except when you do it, you will do it fully aware of the fact that God is my shield and God get yourself some glory by being a shield to your people. Teach my heart to make this about you. God is my shield. The second thing I would invite you to do is to just start the practice of calling it a stage. Just call it a stage. I don't know why I like to, to make the devil mad. Uh, he's already mad, but, but join me. Make the devil super mad by calling it a stage. Not like a phase stage, but like a platform for God to stand on and show up kind of a stage. Defy the season. When I say quarantine, I want to call it a stage. Hey, we're quarantined, which is just the stage for God to show off his glory. Hey, we feel a little stuck, but stuck just is another way of saying a stage for God to show off his glory. Economically, we feel threatened, but threatened economically is just a stage for God to God get you some glory. To call the places we feel stuck, or maybe the places we feel threatened, hey, this is a stage. God, stand on it and get yourself glory. Social distancing, yeah, it's a stage for the glory of God. Be our protector. Use this as a stage to glorify yourself. We're going to continue to wrestle through the promise of God being our protector next time. But in the meantime, I would encourage you to maybe join one of our interactive conversation groups and process some of what we've talked about. And if you're not in a group, hey, you know, check out our comment section to see how you can maybe join a group of other folks who are going to be wrestling through this truth together. There's something so powerful about wrestling through these things with other folks together. And you can always just start a conversation. You're going to see the questions show up on the screen right after our closing song. And you can just invite people to have this conversation with you. That's what my family and I do. Immediately after we're done, we sit around and we just talk about the questions on the screen. And I'd invite you to consider doing that. God is our protector. And we want to lean into that promise even as we Submit to his great glory. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing a closing song. Father, thank you so much.
for the truth that you are our protector. Thank you so much for the reassurance that you are always running a play for your purpose. Help us to yield to the fact that the greatest goal of that play is your great glory. There is something powerful in embracing that truth. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that even when we don't get it, even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, you are at work. Meet with us, Lord, even as we continue these conversations in our different groups, entrusting ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.